Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangels, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thank you for joining us, Pearls with Veronica. Thank you for tuning us on Tuesday night at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join us and share the file. I'm Jerry Rose Live Worldwide, and welcome to Positive Power, that works at Christian Media. to God for allowing us to see a brand new year, day number 10 of 2023. I welcome you to Pearls with Veronica. As we all know, Pearls with Veronica is a faith-based podcast based on encouragement, enlightenment, and becoming or being resilient as we navigate the adversities that we overcome and that we will overcome and that we encounter through God's grace. We would like to say a prayer on this evening before we begin as usual. May the grace of Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Be with us all now and forevermore. Oh, God, we thank you for the day and how you have kept us wrapped in your loving arms. Oh, God, your word tells us that you will refresh the weary, brokenhearted, lonely, and satisfy the faint. Your truth nourishes the root of our hearts by helping us bloom in the desert of uncertain circumstances. We like to thank Jerry Royce. And the positive power double XI twenty um double XI media family. Thank thank you, God, for our sponsor, um, Brother Car- Oscar Collars. Tonight we will be talking about the abounding of God's grace, marks of a God's abounding grace. First Timothy one twelve through seventeen. I am grateful 
to the one who has strengthened me, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he considered me faithful in putting me into ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an arrogant man, this is Paul talking, but I was treated with mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and our Lord's grace was abundant, bringing faith and love in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But here is why I was treated with mercy, so that in me was the worst. Christ Jesus could demonstrate his utmost patience as an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. What are the marks of abounding grace in a believer's life? Each of us has received grace not only for salvation, but for many other things. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17, Paul reflects on God's abundant grace over his life. In verse 14, he says, And our Lord's grace was abundant, bringing faith and love in Christ Jesus. When Paul says the word abundantly, it means super abundantly or an exceedingly abundant amount, an excessive amount, exuberant amount. Though grace is only mentioned once in this section, it flows throughout 1 Timothy, Timothy 1, 12-17. After Paul declared how the false teachers were misusing the law, probably as a means of salvation, verses 4 and 7, he began to think about his own salvation and the abundant grace God poured over him. He was a violent persecutor of Christianity who God radically saved and transformed, calling him as an apostle to preach the gospel. But as we consider Paul's testimony, we must realize that it is not more, that it is no more radical than ours. Before Christ, we were rebels in our hearts towards God, dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet God, by his amazing grace, saved us. As Paul considers this, he cannot help but praise the eternal and immortal God. In verse 12, he says, I am grateful to the one who has strengthened me, Christ Jesus our Lord. And in verse 17, he says, honor and glory be to God forever. Maybe, you know, we struggle with being thankful and praising God because we don't remember what we previously were and how God's grace radically changed us. I always reflect back on being transformed because I had a really, really bad temper. I would snap on you in a minute, but I realized through my growing up and through my child from the childhood to my teens to my early adulthood that that was not the way to be. Um, I had to really, really change. A lot of that stemmed from a lot of childhood hurts. I was always on the defense, always on the defense, stayed on the defense, had to protect myself. 
but the transformation of God. Mm, hallelujah, hallelujah. God's mark of abounding grace is so powerful that it always changes us. However, it is not only available for salvation, but also for sanctification. James said, God gives greater grace. There is no more, there is more grace available. God loves to lavish his grace on his children. As we study this text, we should ask these questions. Do we bear the mark of this grace? And how can we have more of God's abundant grace in our lives? Here's a great question. What are the marks of God's abounding grace in the life of believers as displayed in Paul's testimony? God's abounding grace calls us and equips us to serve God. 1 Timothy 12, 1 Timothy 1 and 12. I am grateful to the one who has strengthened me, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he considered me faithful in putting me into ministry. When Paul considered God's amazing grace, he recognized how God called and equipped him for ministry. Paul was appointed to serve as an apostle. When he says that he was strengthened, it can also be translated that he was made equal to the task. Paul was not equipped in his own strength. Neither of us, none of us are equipped in our own strength to serve as an apostle and to suffer the persecution that came with that ministry. God made Paul equal to the task, and this is true for us as well. And whatever God has called us to serve, he makes us equal to the task. Consider how God speaks to Jeremiah, who felt unequipped to serve as a prophet. In Jeremiah 1, 6 through 10, he says, I answered, Oh, Lord God, I really do not know how to speak well enough for that. I am too young. The Lord said to me, do not say I am too young, but go to whomever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of those to whom I send you, for I will be with you to protect you, says the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I will most assuredly give you the words you are to speak for me. Know for certain that I hereby give you the authority to announce to nations and kingdoms that they will be uprooted and torn down, destroyed and demolished, rebuilt and firmly planted. When the Lord called Jeremiah, he put his words in his mouth and he said he would protect him. In fact, in verse 18, God says he made him a fortified city an iron pillar, and a bronze wall so he could stand against the attacks that will come against him. God does the same for us. His grace is so amazing that he makes us equal to the task, able to stand up against the trials and attacks that come. He makes us like a fortified city and an iron pillar. But not only did God give Paul strength, he also made him faithful. When Paul said that God considered him faithful, or it can be translated trustworthy, it was not because of Paul's innate faithfulness or trustworthiness. Paul was a persecutor of Christ and Christians. God made him trustworthy. In 1 Corinthians 7 and 25, Paul said, 
With regard to the question about people who have never married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my opinion as one shown mercy by the Lord to be trustworthy. It was the Lord's mercy that made him trustworthy for the task. It was the Lord's mercy that kept Paul from falling away when encountering when encountering attacks. It was God's super abundant grace poured out on his life. William Barclay said this about Paul being entrusted with such a great commission. It was to Paul an amazing thing that he, the arch persecutor, had been chosen to as a missionary and the pioneer of Christ. It was not only that Jesus Christ had forgiven him, it was that Christ had trusted him. Sometimes in human affairs, we forgive a man who has committed some mistake or who has been guilty of some sin, but we make it very clear that his past mistakes that his past mistake makes it impossible for us to trust him again with any responsibility. But Christ had not only forgiven Paul, he had entrusted him with his works to do. The man who had been the persecutor of Christ had been made the ambassador of Christ. As we consider God entrusting Paul with the ministry of apostleship, we must remember that it doesn't matter how often we fail or made mistakes, God still wants to use us. He wants to strengthen us and make us trustworthy for service through his hyper, excessive, abundant grace. Now, certainly people can reject this grace, and many will, and many do. They reject it because they love sin and the world more than God. They reject it because they feel unworthy. They reject it because instead of seeing God's grace, all they see is their ability or lack of ability. And we all are guilty of that at times. They declare, I can't speak. I can't leave. Lord, you have got the wrong person. And I am so guilty of saying that. Lord, me? Little old me? Little old Veronica? Many miss this grace. But not Paul. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I work harder than all of them, yet not but the grace of God with me. 1 Corinthians 5, 15 and 10. He accepted it and allowed God's grace to work through him, and so must we. As Paul considered all that God did in calling and equipping him for ministry, he praised God. Thank you, Lord, that even though we are weak and untrustworthy, you make us strong and trustworthy through your grace. In what ways have you experienced God's hyperabundant grace, making you strong and trustworthy for ministry God gave you? Great question, something I ask myself all the time. God, do you trust me? Am I trustworthy? I ask myself that. And I ask, tell God, you can trust me. Here am I, God. Here am I. God's abundant grace forgives our sins. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an arrogant man, this is Paul talking, but I was treated with mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. 1 Timothy 1 and 13. Not only does God's grace call and equip us, it is continually forgives and removes the guilt of our sins. Paul said, that even though he was a blasphemer, 
persecutor and violent man, he was given mercy because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. As a blasphemer, Paul blasphemed Christ. As a persecutor, he imprisoned and put Christians to death. As a violent man, he delighted in hurting believers. He was like a bully or a sadist. It seems that Paul is showing an ascending scale of wickedness in the three words, blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent. It goes from speaking words only, it goes from speaking words only to hurting people and then to enjoying it. Though Paul was so sinful, God's grace, God's grace still forgave him. God does the same with us. His superabundant grace and mercy meets us in our failures. First John 1 and 9 says, But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. What, what we must notice about this verse is that when we confess, not only does God forgive the sins we confess, he purifies us from all unrighteousness. This means that when we confess known sin, God cleanses us even from unknown sin. This is the super abundant grace. Interesting, Paul says, I was treated with mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Did Paul receive mercy from God? Did Paul receive mercy from God because of his ignorance and the lack of belief in Jesus? Does our ignorance make us less responsible for our sins? When Paul mentions his ignorance, he is probably referring to the Old Testament's teaching on unintentional and intentional sins, which can be found in Numbers 15 and 28, which reads, and the priest must make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and he will be forgiven. You must have one law for the person who sins unintentionally, both for the native born among the Israelites and for the resident foreigner who lives among them. For the person who acts defiantly where the native born or a resident foreigner insults the Lord. That person must be cut off from among his people because he has because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person must be completely cut off. His iniquity will be on him. The one who sinned accidentally could make atonement for his sins through sacrifice. But for those who were defiant and sinned intentionally, no sacrifice was available. In a sense, our knowledge makes us more responsible and guilty before God, God, and our lack of knowledge makes us less responsible and guilty. We see this teaching in the New Testament as well. Consider these passages in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the miracle of coming of age, and then have committed apostasy to renew them again to repentance since they are crucifying the Son of God for themselves all over again and holding him up to contempt. 
For if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sin is left for us, but only a certain fearful expectation of God's expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. Even in the New Testament, there is a sense in which our willful rebellion against God's commands, commands brings a greater judgment. In fact, continual rebellion can actually harden the heart to an extent where it is impossible to repent. At that point, a person cannot be brought back to repentance, sort of like left to a reprobated man, as they will not desire it and no sacrifice for sin is left. Some believers, some believe these verses refer to those who lose their salvation. However, that is unlikely since the broader counsel of Scripture teaches the eternal security of believers. It also seems to refer that the church who hears God's word, that those in the church, pardon me, who hear God's word, experience the Holy Spirit and yet still rebel. As they continue to rebel, their hearts become hardened so much that they cannot repent. These are professing believers who never truly knew Christ. They are like the Pharisees who witnessed Christ's miracles, heard his word, and yet with that knowledge rejected Christ, committing the blasphemy of the Spirit, which can be found in Matthew 12, 31, and 32. It would be like Judas who tasted of the Holy Spirit and cast out demons and yet was still a child of the devil, referencing John 6 and 70. Though he received great knowledge, he never truly accepted Christ or repented of his sins. When Paul says he was shown mercy because he acted in ignorance and unbelief, he was not saying he earned God's mercy. Mercy was a result of grace. He was saying, I am not a, an apostate Christian rebelling against God. I sinned in ignorance. I didn't believe in Christ. I didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah. And because of this, God was very merciful with me. God's super abundant grace, I'm going to continue to say, super abundant grace overflowed onto Paul, teaching him the truth and bringing repentance in his life. Certainly, it gives us a holy field in rebelling against God's revelation. There is no such thing as cheap grace. There is always a cost to the grace we receive. We must respond to God's grace or call it or it can actually harm us. The grace of hearing and knowing God's word makes us more responsible and it can actually harden our hearts. By preaching God's word, Isaiah was called to harden Israel's heart. God says, make the hearts of these people callous, hard. Make their ears deaf and their eyes blind. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Their hearts might understand, and they might repent and be healed. As we hear God's word and receive his grace, we have a responsibility to respond. If we don't respond, it can lead to God's discipline and a hardening of hearts and conscience. It happens. It has been said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Now imagine that visual, the same sun that melts the ice <laughs> hardens the clay. Paul said God was merciful because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
how much more responsible are we who know God's truth, especially those raised in church and who have heard the Bible since the time we sat on our parents' knees? God's superabundant grace lavishes mercy and forgiveness on us, but we must faithfully respond to his grace lest we become more accountable to God. You have received God's superabundant grace through his witness and creation and the hearing of God's word. How will you respond to it? God's abounding grace changes our heart. God's superabundant grace not only called, equipped, and forgave Paul, but also radically changed his heart. He mentions two other blessings that came from God's grace, faith and love. This is also true for all believers. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. It is not from works, so that no one can boast. When Paul considered the saving faith that he received, he realized it was a gift from God grace. There was nothing intellectually or spiritually special about Paul that made him accept Christ as Lord and Savior. It was grace. Grace. God's super abundant grace opened his blind eyes so that he could see Christ's beauty. And this is true for each of us. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, the unbeliever does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Are we living by faith? Are you living by faith? Has God's superabounding grace drawn you to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is it drawing you to trust God more daily? It is for me. This is what God's grace does. It enables the just to live by faith. Romans 5 and 5 says, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Even our affections for God, his word, and others all come from God. Before salvation, Paul hated Christ and believers. In fact, he persecuted and had them murdered. However, when he got saved, God's superabundant grace was poured out on Paul, enabling him to love the one who hated Christ, now loved Christ and counted everything as nothing compared to knowing him. The one who hated Christians now loved Christians. The one who despised Gentiles now devoted his life to preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And the one who defamed women now became the liberator of women. And this is also true for every genuine believer. If we don't love God and others, then we have not received God's super abundant grace and therefore are not saved. If a believer lacks a sacrificial love for other believers, they are not saved. True love isn't just something people say, but something they do, love in action. It is even demonstrated in how they handle their material possessions. Because they love, they sacrifice for others. The super abundant grace of God works in us to love this way. Are you loving others? Is God's super abundant grace drawing you to love and serve Christ's body? Is it provoking you to greater faith in God? God's super abundant grace always pours out love and faith in believers. 
Love and faith mark them as God changes their heart. God's abounding grace convicts and humbles us. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them, 1 Timothy 1 and 16. When Paul says this, he is saying trustworthy and deserves full acceptance, meaning he is about to give a statement of special importance. He uses this phrase five times in the pastoral epistles. Many think these were well-known quotations, possibly from the possibly from an early hymn or creed. After this statement, Paul gives the gospel in miniature. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Am I the worst of them? What stands out most is the fact that Paul calls himself the worst or chief of sinners. What did he mean by this? Was he really the worst sinner? Obviously, Paul was not the worst sinner on the planet. His sins were certainly heinous and evil. As he persecuted Christians and blasphemed Christ, his statement appears to reflect genuine conviction and humility coming from his receiving, here we go again, God's abundant grace. This is common for people who are graced to encounter God. When Isaiah saw God in Isaiah 6 and 5, he declared, woe is me, I have unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. Similarly, Peter cried out, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, when he recognized Christ as Lord. God's, here we go again, God's abundant grace creates genuine conviction of sin and humility in its recipient. And it's significant that Paul makes this statement not as a new believer, but after he has walked with God for over 25 years. Paul does not use the verb was, but am meaning present tense. Walking with God and experiencing his grace continually makes us aware of our unworthiness and sinfulness, creating humility in us all. Are you experiencing God's super-duper abundant grace? It's like a light exposing darkness and bringing clarity of sight. This is true for every believer. That is why the most seasoned and sometimes the most successful are often most humble. Moses, who undoubtedly received grace from God, was considered the humblest man on the earth. Are you growing in awareness of your sin, or are you becoming increasingly dull to your sin and that of the world? God's superabundant grace convicts and helps us grow in humility. This, these are marks of drinking from the fire hydrant of grace. I love that, the fire hydrant of grace. God's abounding grace displays God's glory to others. We see how God's display amazing grace is meant to glorify him. By giving Paul a blasphemer, super abundant grace of salvation, God displayed his immense patience to the world. God continually came after Paul. Though he was in great rebellion, God is immensely patient. He desires that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He holds back his wrath in hope that people will repent and turn to him. By saving a tremendous sinner like Paul, God displayed the glory of his attributes to the world. 
sometimes people handle scriptures as though God's primary goal in redemptive history is to save souls, but it is not. His primary goal is his glory and the salvation of the lost is ultimately a vehicle for that. How should we apply the fact that God distributes grace and mercy and salvation to glorify and magnify him? Magnify him, I apologize. If we truly understand that our lives and our salvation are meant to display God's glory, and then it should encourage us daily to live for God's glory. Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. God's super duper abundant grace saves us for his glory, and therefore we should seek to honor and glorify him in all that we do. Glorify him in our workplace and how we speak and how we treat our fellow coworkers. We do this by cultivating both right hearts and actions and how we live. And this is continuing. This is daily. Are we? Are you and I living to glorify God? Is that the motive behind you eating, drinking, working, and playing? How is God calling you to seek to glorify him at home? By keeping things in order, at work, following orders. <laughs> At school, being obedient, <laughs> at recreation, following the rules on the playground. <laughs> what have you learned about God watching his work in and through others? God's grace makes us models for others. But here is why I was treated with mercy, so that in me as the worst, Christ Jesus could demonstrate his utmost patience as an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. 1 Timothy 1 and 16. Paul's salvation not only reflected, reflected God's glory, but also became a model for others. By saving a chief sinner like Paul, it gives hope to others who are far away from God and those praying for the salvation of others. If God can save Paul, he can save anybody. This should encourage us to never stop praying for even the most hardened sinners. God saved Paul in such a way that he may be that he became an example or pattern that encourages others to believe in God. This is true for us as well. Our salvation and therefore our testimonies are powerful tools meant to be shared with others. In the story of the demonic, we are when he tried to follow Christ, the Lord denied him saying, Go to your home and to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you and that he had mercy on him. God said the same to us in Psalm 172. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yes, we all have different testimonies, some dramatic and others less dramatic, but they are all marked by God's abundant grace. And God uses them to lead others to Christ. Therefore, we must faithfully share our salvation stories with others as well as the stories of God's daily grace. These stories are not ours to keep. They are God's, and we must faithfully use them to glorify him and to bless others. God's abounding grace provokes us to worship. Now to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, First Timothy 1 and 17. As Paul considers all that God did for him, he breaks out in praise. In his doxology, he gives four wonderful designations for our great God. Paul calls the king eternal. 
God is the king of all ages who sovereignly governs every age before creation, after creation, to the final age, and into eternity. Paul calls him immortal. God is not subject to the care of destruction and therefore is in the most absolute sense imperishable, incorruptible, and immortal. God calls him in, Paul calls him invisible, but the physical eye cannot see him. He lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. All that humans, the, all that human beings have ever seen of him or other incarnate Christ are glimpses of his glory. Paul calls him the only God. He alone is what he is. Of himself, God has declared, I am the Lord and there is no other. Certainly many of us have lost the joy of our salvation simply because we have forgotten what God has done for us. Like Paul, we must constantly remember our experiences of grace. No doubt, we see this in many of Israel's festivals. In the Passover, they remember God delivering them from Egypt. In the Feast of Booth, they remember God's protection in the wilderness. This type of remembrance happens when we practice the Lord's Supper. We remember the grace of God lavished on us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. His blood was shed and his body was broken for us so that we may know God and have eternal life. Let us think often of this like Paul. He mentions his conversion experience frequently in his epistles. He keeps revisiting it. And we must as well. We must remember our experiences of God's super abundant grace. What if we lack these marks of abundant grace? What if we don't know our calling? What if we lack love for God and others? What if we lack humility and many of the other marks of grace? To receive God's abundant grace, we must accept God's grace for salvation. Is Christ our Lord and Savior? Have we committed to follow him the rest of our lives? This is when we first accept God's hyper-abundant grace, exuberant, abundant grace. Romans 10, 13 says, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To receive God's abundant grace, we must repent. 1 John 1 and 9, unconfessed sin blocks the blessings of God. Jesus said, if we don't forgive others, he won't forgive us, Matthew 6 and 15. And David said, if we cherish iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us, Psalm 66, 18. Do you have unrepentant sin? In your life, to receive God's abundant grace, we must abide. We must abide in Christ. John 15 and 5. Our relationship to Christ is the doorway to His grace. All fruit comes from it. We must abide in prayer, His Word, and fellowship with the saints. Are you marked by God's God's hyper abundant grace? What are the marks of God's grace in the believer's life? He equips us to serve. His abounding grace forgives us our sins. God's abounding grace changes our heart. God's abounding grace convicts and humbles us. God's abounding grace displays God's glory to others. God's abounding grace makes us models for others. God's abounding grace provokes us into worship. In closing tonight, I want to leave you with this. Remember. God's grace shines brightly through the most broken places in our lives. 
He favors us with kindness. God rains down his grace on all mankind. He gave us the beauty and wonders of nature that we can see and that we see each and every day. He gives us near misses when accidents are headed our way. He often brings us to the right thing just in time. And he also gives us an innate conscience to know right from wrong. All these things are common graces. And everyone born on the earth has the benefit of them because God so loved the world. I want to thank you all for tuning in tonight to Pearls with Veronica about God's abounding grace. God's abounding grace. He equips us to serve him. God's abounding grace forgives our sins. It changes our hearts. It convicts and humbles us. And we display God's glory to others through his grace. And it models us for, to, and we use God's grace to model for others. And, we, and it provokes us to worship. I want to thank Jerry Royce and the Positive Power Double XI family. I want to thank Mr. Oscar Collins for being a sponsor. I want to thank my listeners near and far for always tuning in. I know that I'm not always on on Tuesdays. A lot of time is due to work. But I thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you all. Before we close, I want to end in prayer. Lord, many things have happened today some good, some bad, some hard, and some joyful. But before we go to sleep, we want to entrust all things to you. There are many things that we can't figure out, oh God. Many circumstances are confusion, confusing, oh God. Many situations are just playing hard. Even though we can't figure out how all these things will work out, we know that you are good. We know that you will do good for us. God, we know that we can put our trust completely in you. And before and as we go to sleep, we declare, God, that we trust in you. We thank you for your mercy and grace, O oh God. We know that all things will work out, but you do them because you are good, and we proclaim our trust in you. The Holy Spirit, we completely and totally depend on you. We don't have infinite strength because our strength lies totally in you, O oh God. Amen, amen, amen. Remember God's abounding grace. Thank you for tuning in on Tuesday night to Pearls of Veronica at 10 p.m. Thank you and God bless. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangels, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thank you for joining us, Pearls with Veronica. Thank you for tuning us on Tuesday night at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Join us and share the file. I'm Jerry Woods Live Worldwide, and welcome to Positive Power, Double Exact Christian Media. Thank you, Jerry Woods Live Worldwide Podcast.